And just a little disclaimer, again, we are still in lockdown, which means that these are recorded through Zoom, so the audio isn't always great and it kind of sounds like you're on the phone with some of us. So just, you know, get into it, lean back and pretend that you're on the phone with us and um, let's talk. Okay, hi, I'm Shania. And I'm Evita. This is our 10th episode of Making It Women in Film. Yeah, uh, this is a podcast where we usually sit down with women working in the film industry, but today we want to do a solo episode just for you guys. In today's episode, we're going to be talking uh, about projects we've been up to, uh, the new Oscar diversity rules, we'll be answering some questions, we'll be ranking sexist tropes in film and television and other fun stuff. So yeah, uh, thank you for getting us all the way to episode 10 i mean it's kind of wild like i know 10 isn't that big of a number but it's easy it's i feel like we've been doing this forever like it doesn't even seem like the 10th episode this is crazy to me and I it know. keeps it bigger especially on instagram our like engagement rate is crazy how many shares we had on that one post i think our viewers like the statistic posts. Yeah, no, it's it's been really crazy. And to think, what ten episodes? Every episode is over thirty minutes, so that's over five hours. So crazy. What I love the most is when we started this. I didn't really have any expectations going into it. I just wanted, I wanted to do it for a while, but I just really wanted to just have like a space to talk about film and you know really I just wanted something good on my CV but this is <laughs> you know this is so much more like seeing um like DMs and comments and like we've built like a community for ourselves now it's so inspiring you know I'll just go on my Instagram app and instantly be inspired by all these women that are DMing us are viewers actually DM'd us saying that we've inspired her and now she feels like she can make it in the industry and that's literally all we want. Thank you to whoever sent that to us. It's just so affirming and it just keeps on feeling better and better. We just had an interview with Sanjay Zinna which is coming out next week. Uh, Every time I'm just blown away. I think with every episode it just shows that like especially with today's episode that you know diversity behind the camera just means diversity in front of the camera like we've mentioned that in um episodes but with today's one especially that's just proving it and I just think I think this podcast is doing great things like open up conversations I think they really inspire us and hopefully inspire our viewers as well and that's what we really strive for and we have some really exciting guests coming up yeah it's um ah uh, we're not gonna reveal it yet go follow us on instagram if you want to know when like as soon as we're ready to announce it but there's a lot of exciting people coming on i won't give anything away all i'm gonna say is one of my favorite shows and i think one of Vita's favorite shows mm-hmm. someone from there nothing else a very influential person from there. 2020 and 2019. Exactly. Not even just film and TV in general, but culturally. Like, it was such a... Oh, 
You'll find out. And uh, so look out for that. We also have an interview coming up with... So I'm using my books as a mic stand here. And you'll see this lovely pink book here called The Wrong Kind of Woman Inside Our Revolution to Dismantle the Gods of Hollywood by Naomi McDougall-Jones. She also has an amazing TED Talk about uh, female representation in Hollywood. Go watch it. Uh, our interview is coming up with her... I'll probably come out sometime in October. She is an incredible woman. She's done so much research on why it is so fundamental, like we, why we desperately need this representation and why it not only makes sense from a pure ethically and morally and compassionate standpoint, but also just financially. <laughs> like there's no doubt about it. She's an amazing woman um, and you should be looking forward to that too. What have you been up to in these past few weeks? I mean, it's been a while since we've seen each other because restrictions have happened again. And yes, I know. It's been a minute since I've seen you in person. Um, and to finally see you so we can record together because it's so much easier. But I am back in Glasgow now and I'm just starting on a little film project here and there. Um, I'm directing a music video soon and I'm also doing a little video for a dance company. So I'm also working my kind of film on the side, which is probably my main priority right now. Um, what about yourself? Oh, well, I just started my creative writing course at college yesterday and it's honestly amazing. Like... I didn't originally want to go to college because I kind of, there's so many ways into the industry, but just having the time and just being so dedicated to really learn about the craft and just completely indulge myself in it is so amazing. Um, it's part TV script writing, film analysis, and just literature reading. Um, so it's perfect, really, for me. And if anyone is interested in specifically writing, I would highly encourage you to look into that. I know it's it's not <laughs> it's not something that guarantees you'll make money, no. But if you want to really indulge yourself in the craft and really just learn and build your skills, and also just connect with people who have the same amount of passion for it, look into it because um, it's honestly. I've just had two days now and I'm just in love with it. Yeah, definitely. I don't think this is the industry for people looking to make money. No, <laughs> it's not. If you're not passionate about, you know, what you're doing, especially with this industry, then you're not going to make it for at all. But yeah, with this podcast, we love talking about diversity and we bring it up in almost every single episode. Um, so talking about that, we did have a question from one of the people on our Instagram, one of our listeners, about um, Oscar, the Oscars new rules. Um, yeah, do you want to explain them a little bit? All right, so um, I'm just going to read the New York Times article. We'll be linking it in the description for anyone who wants to go read it in full as well. So basically, after, you know, many hashtags and much outrage of the so many times all-white nominations within the Academy Awards, uh, finally they are making an initiative. 
um, and they've come up with a group of rules. And it's interesting. And I'll be excited to talk with you and hear what your thoughts are because we haven't talked about this. So they have a bunch of different standards. So standard A, where to satisfy the demands of standard A, only one of these three criteria must be met. One, at least one actor from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group must be cast in a significant role. That means supporting or main. The story must center on women, LGBTQ people, or racial or ethnic group, or the disabled. That's number two. And number three, at least 30% of the cast must be actors from at least two of those four underrepresented categories. For standard B, which is focused on the hiring behind the scenes, at least at least one of these following criteria must be met. Two or more department heads, meaning jobs like director, cinematographer or composer, uh, also costume design, makeup, etc. department heads, must be female, LGBTQ+, disabled or part of an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Two, at least six other crew members must be from an underrepresented racial ethnic group. Three, at least 30% of the film's crew must be from the four underrepresented groups continually laid out in these guidelines. And what we see is, like, as I mentioned here, still largely white Best Picture nominees like The Irishman or The Tree of Life, which each employed female casting directors and Mexican cinematographers, would have no problem meeting the standards, meeting the demands of standard B. Standard C and D. Uh, standard C requires one of the two criterias of the film distributor or financing company must have at least two interns from an underrepresented group or two, the film's production, distribution, or financing company must offer training or work opportunities to people from those underrepresented groups. And then standard D is, it asks that some of the senior marketing, publicity, and distribution executives on a film are from an underrepresented groups. That's it. And this will go into action in 2024. Yes, this will take. Yeah, so it's like, oh, we're doing this now, but in four years, this will take into effect. So, why four years? Why do we need to wait four years to see diversity on screen? Oh my god, I did not know that fact. That I'm feeling. Oh, I think a lot of people gloss over that. Four years? Why not? I guess a lot of people, a lot of movies do take quite a lot, quite a lot of years in production. So that's maybe it. Like if some that's going to be released next year has been in production for the past three years, then they probably won't have met all of those. Well, they probably should have, but now they can't change it. That's kind of where I think it's coming from. But I'm also like four years is a lot of time, especially considering the Oscar so white hashtag was in 2015. So that's nearly a decade. Yeah. See, when I'm not, I haven't really read a lot about it read you know what you just read out um and reading that I really you know didn't have a problem with the rules like I don't bad that can come of this um apart from you know more diversity and in front and behind the screen um I don't see anything wrong with it what, what about you I think a lot of people made a really big deal out of it, but then I read it and it's like 30% must be from somebody who's not a white straight man. And it's like, okay, so you still get 70%. Like it's not, it's, it's pretty low, I'd say, to have anyone who's like, to, it's, it's really not very big numbers. And if you have numbers below that, that is concerning. It's something I, I think 
a lot of people are complaining about enforcing diversity and then it's not real. But at some level, I think you do have to enforce it for it to be natural in a couple of years. Like it's not natural that almost all of the directors are men. It's because for generations, like generations ago, that was enforced that it was only men. And so that's why it's been established that way. And so if you establish diversity now in a couple of years you're not going to need rules for it it's just going to be organic yeah exactly like you know this industry has been like male driven for ages and like predominantly white so you know everyone's like crying out for change you know people need to be represented it's not really I don't think it's really an option anymore like it needs to happen so I think these rules are only going to do good like um you know, it's going to change, it's going to make a lot of film companies, film production companies, film directors, you know. And distribution, like it's not just on set, it's not just on screen, it is all of it. Exactly, like um, I went to see Christopher Nolan's new film Tenet the other day and my, you know, I'm not going to talk about the film, but my first thought was, I'm pretty sure this is Nolan's first black lead the majority of his films are all white men so I thought maybe I was wondering maybe he's thinking about representation now as well when he's casting his films I think I do believe that he is I mean he's also like Washington he's just a fantastic actor um and like so good so good another thing I saw a lot of white straight men say in um, um, I love how you say that white straight men <laughs> as they replied to these new rules was like oh well this is going to give me low opportunities Does, are you insinuating that you are inherently more deserving of an opportunity like I don't know like it's it's when people are like oh we need more I remember there was a huge controversy because um in May, I think, a group of editors started, like, a, a group for black editors. Um, or someone was like, I, I'm looking for a black editor. Uh, and then all of these white editors were like, whoa, so you're not going to give the opportunity to me. And it's like, right, but why do you think you deserve it more than them? Like, there is a very, enti- there's a lot of entitlement there. And <laughs> it's just interesting to see how people reply to it. Like, it's not... It's not about giving you less. It's just giving people the same. Like it's really. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my goodness, I know. Oh, I was watching. I don't think this is directly related to film, but I was watching. Um, you know, like, Karen videos. Oh know? yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was watching all of them this morning. I was like, "What is wrong with these people?" In conclusion, um, I think. This is really the bare minimum from uh, the Academy. Um, I hope that the same will happen within actual Academy members who are judging these movies. Because um, I don't, I didn't see a mention of that, um, which I think is really important as well, because those are the people actually you know, deciding wins. And I think predominantly that clearly has an impact on what gets chosen. And I think it's the same, we need more women film critics. Um, 
uh, double the amount of male critics and that does have an effect <laughs> on how we, how movies are perceived and how they the response that they get so if you're out there you know just just start voicing your opinions and your takes um um do you want to roll into some of the other questions that we got yeah sure um i haven't actually read half of them but okay that's fine <laughs> Take it by surprise. Um, when watching a film, what do you look out for? What is the most important for you? <clears throat> okay, this is interesting. Um, recently, it won't come to a shock to our listeners. Nearly all the time, I do like watch the film and I think about the, the diversity and the representation. I know maybe I, I don't know if a lot of people think of that straight away, but I do and I do notice if there isn't, like I just said, when I seen Tenet, I did realise it, um, especially because a lot of his films are mainly white men. I noticed it then. Um, so that is honestly the first thing I notice and look for in the film recently, especially how, now we've started this podcast. When I watch a film, I'm like, is this cast diverse you know does it represent all the groups that I should so that's the first thing I look at what about you when you are somebody who isn't represented that often you will notice it when you are and I again when you start paying attention to how often does a woman speak how many lines does she have because oh my god a lot of movies have uh, two hours long and with like one line said by a woman. Um, same goes for people of colour. Like, Lord of the Rings. I think, yeah, somebody made a compilation of people of colour talking in Lord of the Rings. Uh, the entire trilogy. It's four, six seconds. And it's... Um, <laughs> I get this. It's not actually um, a person, you know just being a person it's it's they are disguised as ogres so you won't even know that they are thinking about that though you could say that for a lot of franchises like the first thing that came to mind was Harry Potter oh did you know so oh Lavender who plays a big role you know Ron's love interest in Deathly Hallows in the Chamber of Secrets she has like a small scene uh in the herbology class and she's played by a black girl there you know, when she becomes a bigger role, they cast a white girl for her. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty shocking. Um, I, I understand that they were making the movies as the books were coming out, so they didn't know that she'd be a big role, but so, so it can be hard to get the same actors back, but then casting somebody who's completely different race within the same franchise to play the same person. Um, strange choice. I don't like her. No, not at all. No, that's really annoying. And but you obviously you honestly can say it for a lot of franchises. Now I'm thinking like the Hunger Games. I don't remember it, you know, very well. Katniss is not white in the books. They whitewashed her. What? I did not know that. She's described as having um, olive-toned skin. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's so like and. Also, with a lot of like sci-fi fantasy films, like look on our Instagram for just on that. Like, 
It's shocking. But what we do on Instagram, we do also post a lot of recommendations for, you know, movies and TV series within specific genres that are very diverse, both behind and in front of the camera, um, to encourage you to support those so people can really see, oh, this is working. Um, because, first of all, we need to give the support to those who are actually doing it right now. Um, so basically my question and my answer to that question is yes, I do look for diversity. But other than that, I look for coherency. Sometimes, man, sometimes none of it makes sense. Like the story will just jump across. Like I was just going to say one thing I do also look for, it, apart from diversity, not so much I look for it, something I notice is like a great like first scene. Like, so it has to like capture you in a couple of seconds. So, you know, I was watch I'd watched Dark Knight like so much times in the last couple of days. And that's one of my favorite introductions to a character ever. And also Goodfellas. I think that's such a great introduction to, you know, the three main characters. Um, you know, in Nolan films he normally starts I'm talking a lot about Christopher Lowe, Nolan and <laughs> he's an icon, of course. I know, he's like the director of this generation, apparently. Um, yeah, so in a lot of his films, he like starts his film his films off with action, and that mm. obviously captures the audience's yeah. attention. So I always look for a great first scene, because I so important. Yeah, along with that, I think not only the first scene, but the introduction to the main character is really important. Uh, in Aaron Sorkin's Masterclass, he talks about the way he decided to introduce Mark Zuckerberg in, you know, the social network, you know, in the bar where he's like talking and you can clearly see what he wants and it really gets out something much, you can really see so much within his character in just that fantastic, fantastic dialogue. Um, um, somebody asks, uh, who's your favorite female lead in a film? I don't know. Many you think. Um, so many. Do you have any? Any that stand out? Um, yeah. I have a couple that come to my head. So I ha- was watching, like, um, okay, you might laugh at me, but like my favorite Disney film is The Incredibles. I'm not laughing. That's one of the like that's top five superhero films of all time. Uh-huh. I honestly like that was my favorite film like growing up. So Elastigirl, oh my yeah. god, such a good. I watch this cartoon, but you know, such a good role model for you know, you know, the young generation. Like she kicks ass. You know, she yeah, especially her- the second one. Yeah. Especially second one. I just remember the famous quote, you know, saving the world to the men. I don't think so. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. That's oh. my it, it just shows, like, you know, a woman can kick ass. Oh, and there's so many great ones. But I'd say Ladybird from Ladybird. She's yeah. just so unbelievably relatable. Re- not relatable in the sense of she's a black character and anyone can identify with her, but in the fact that it's really easy to empathize with her. Um, she's just so well written and whole and human and flawed. And that's definitely one of my movies. Like when I watch Greta Gerwig's films, especially Ladybird. It almost feels like I'm watching a home video because not only, you know, her style of filmmaking, but also, like you just said, the characters are so relatable, especially Ladybird. Honestly, 
felt like I was watching like a home video of me when I was young. That was a really like monumental film, I think. Um, should we do some tier listing, some ranking of sexist tropes? Okay, let's do it. Okay, so basically what we did, I um Last week, I asked you guys on Instagram to give me your least favorite tropes. So what we're going to do is we're going to rank them from worst to not that bad. So we got we picked out 10. We got so many. Um, but we picked out 10 that we're going to go through. And yeah, we're going to list them here. All right. So first up, we got Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Where do you rank it on worst... Not so bad. Um, okay, I guess. Um, well, can you change it as you go along, or does it just stick to one number? It, it just sticks. So, like, we have the manic pixie dream girl here. Yeah. So, so first, I thought number number three is there three. Well, I guess uh, if, if wait if these are six, then three is B. Yes, I can count. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, and then we have uh, the black lady therapist trope, which is a kind of new one that I've started to observe. I read an article about it as well. We'll I'll link it. So if you want to read it, but it, it, somebody brought up like the way that black women are always put there for people to ask for help and for people to just put all of their emotions and uh, luggage on, and then they again never listen to the advice they actually get. So I'm gonna put that on. S, because it's that it kind of gives this image, which we've seen so many times over, kind of sends out the message that, you know, you can just dump your stuff on them, which that's just so inhumane. Um, and again, as the person who asked, uh, well, who mentioned this trope brought up, the people who ask them for advice never listen to the advice they get either. So it's like, What's the point? They're not your therapist. Stop her. Exactly. I've seen a lot in quite a few TV series. And then we've got lesbians being fetishized. I think that's the top as well. I've seen that. I, so I, much. It is. It is. If anyone's curious as to why I picked um, blue is the warmest colour, it's because of what went on behind the scenes. Uh, it's, eh, it's shit. Um, and all <laughs> in all, like, it's just so fucking awful. It's just objectification and uh, the idea that women only serve to, you know, be appealing to men, even if they're not even attracted to them. It's, uh, mm. okay. And then we have the born yexy, born yexy, born sexy yesterday trope. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's basically... A character who's like really physically attractive um, and physically attracted to the male character, um, main male character, but she has the emotional intelligence and just intelligence in general and attitudes and behavior of a young child. Which is, I feel like I watched so many films with that growing up, and that was really not good for me. So I. Hi, maybe um, A. A, A, yeah. Because that's really, you know, as a young girl watching films like that, you know, it really portrays, you know, the idea that only, you know, your parents. And growing up, I've learned that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So, and also just like that, you can't, you know, be attractive and smart at the same time. That you have to act like a child is creepy insanely yeah. creepy and 
I just picked this girl from an anime called No Game No Life because, I mean, it's a very common trope in anime. And then we have, uh, if you're strong, you also have to be sexy. Um, Where would you put that one? Or, Or characters who are strong, but they are also like unnecessarily objectified. I, my first thought was Wonder, not Wonder Woman, but like, I forgot what like team's called. I just know their like costumes got changed from, you know, full armor. Oh, to- yes. That was in Wonder Woman, the Amazonians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what came to my head. So maybe... <laughs> See, the problem is these are all awful. <laughs> Yeah, they're all awful. I don't want to put anyone on C or D, but it, I think maybe that would be like B or C, honestly. B, because I, I think B maybe because it does depend. I don't have a problem if, if it's like a woman who directed it, but it's, you yeah. know, some, because then it does, and, and the character is confident within that. Um, but when it's like, um, you know, you know what I mean? Like where it's just put on there to kind of make um, the male audience comfortable with it so they're not intimidated by her power and strength and they like kind of have to make her desirable as well and it's like you don't have to be desirable um you can you can just fight it's okay it's okay like one example that i I thought of again was the new harley quinn film birds Mm -hmm. of play Play, yeah before they did the big fight scene at the end, they all like changed outfits and I like, put on makeup. And like, sure, like Harley Quinn might do that, but you know, the policewoman, mm-hmm. that's not in your character. Why are you put on makeup before a fight? You wouldn't do that. And two mm-hmm. of the other wouldn't have done that as well. And just that really bugged me in that film. So yeah. Yeah. I think to, to its credit though, like Harley Quinn's costume, in Birds of Prey compared to Suicide Squad is such a good level up because in Suicide Squad she's what in those like tiny booty shorts and now in Birds of Prey she's just in her entirely own style like yeah yeah, yeah. I do agree with that I didn't think of that before no and she's not like dressed to be insanely like she's just living yeah I did like that but you do have a point in that scene. Like, it's kind of, okay. Okay, let's move on. Um, when they uh, strain their hair and remove their glasses and suddenly they are beautiful. I'll just put it on C, if I'm honest. Again, I think it does depend on how it's done. Yeah. Makeup is not necessarily bad, but it depends if it's done to make the person... In The Princess Diaries, like, I do love that film. And I think, you know... She, you know, was happy with herself, both with the glasses yeah. and without. Mm-hmm. So, and Prince, even though we use that photo, that, you know, I think that was fine. That's kind of an iconic scene of so yeah. much. Yeah, it's it's not. I can understand, like, if you're watching it as a little girl and you look like her, but it's that, you know, before and after thing that can be problematic but at the end of the day as long as it's not done to be like hey you're ugly and you need to look like this then if it's just to make you more power make you more confident in your own skin and just highlight because it's not like she's got a new face like it's still her it's still her uh all of it is just about yeah yeah okay (laughs) um let's move on um 
when two girls fight over the same guy, but he's uh, bland and don't deserve any of them. It's so obvious when you see those films, because it's so obvious that it's like a guy who's written there. Oh my it's god. It's like the most bland, bland character. And for yeah. some reason, all the girls want him. And it's like, <laughs> why? When somebody said, um, uh, when a good uh, romantic subplot turns in, into the main plot. I do think there's something where a lot of movies, they suddenly just completely make the film about the romance and like getting the girl or getting the boy instead of having the actual plot like go through. That is very boring nowadays. I think people do it. Obviously, you know, young people like to watch it. You know, it's cute and all, but it's, it's so boring now. I would hate it. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, maybe I would make that uh, like B. Yeah, because romance isn't isn't bad. I can enjoy a good little fling on the side, but don't make it the main thing. <laughs> you can enjoy a fling on the side. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I know, but like when you watch as a child, it almost like feels like a necessity. That's why mm-hmm. girls, yes. girls, they watch these films, and it's still not the case. So yeah, mm-hmm. okay. What's the best? So so repeated that your entire life's purpose is like being in a relationship, and that's not it. You need to be your own person um, before you do that. Okay, yeah. let's move on. Um, <laughs> So the original trope was alien slash robot who falls in love with the main character because he's the only man she's ever met. Uh, I did pick Wonder Woman here though because it's kind of the same thing of like the only man they've ever met and then they fall in love with him. I honestly put that like A or S because that one in Wonder Woman, that was so unneeded. You know, you see her at the beginning, you know, on the boat and she's basically saying, you know, I don't need men. I don't mm. need sex. You know, she mm. literally said, no, woman, don't and need I men. I don't need men to have sex also because in the comics, she's bisexual. See, exactly. So I don't know why they did that in the film. That really annoyed me. They just really erased that. And when he was like telling her, uh, I don't know teaching her about sex and marriage it was just weird oh. like that that isn't even how it do you not think that an island full of women would have figured it out at some point i don't know it's just definitely on the top i would say yeah and that's our tier list um i think you can go you can go make it too if you want to um on tmaker.com but yeah that was fun all right um so we've been talking for a long time um okay um do you want to just do like some I don't know, recommendations of things you've been watching recently? Um, I'm so boring, though. I just told you that I've only been watching Nolan films recently. Not by choice, because I love Nolan films, but I don't like watching, like, a full marathon of Nolan films because my brain explodes. So hard to understand. Um, let me think. That's the only thing that I've been watching. Like, Dark, Dark Knight, I've been watching over and over again obviously I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna recommend that because that's one of my favorite films like I said when I watch films I look for a great introduction and like he said a great introduction to the main character and I think Dark Knight has the best introduction to a character mm-hmm. ever in my opinion or Goodfellas or Goodfellas I love in, in Goodfellas um 
so yeah, I'm just going to recommend Dark Knight. You should give it a watch, especially if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's iconic. Um, I'm trying to think. What have I been watching? Uh, <laughs> I finished... Um, uh, me and my boyfriend, we've been watching Merlin, uh, re-watching it, and I just finished uh, the last season. Um, so that's been quite good. Um, <laughs> and then, honestly, we've just been watching Taskmaster. Um, <laughs> It's so oh, funny. I'm watched I watch Goggle Box now. Oh my god. What's wrong with you? I know and first dates. I, I don't know what's wrong with me, honestly. I have started you're gonna kill me, the first season of Game of Thrones. Well, I mean, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. I just hope you don't watch the last ones. Um honestly, I did enjoy it and I, I have some issues with it. I don't oh, know. I mean I mean the first what? The first six seasons are solid, and seven and eight kind of wacky because they didn't have the books. So I haven't been watching. I know we need to cut this short, but quickly, um, I haven't been watching. You know, I kind of just went in and out when it, when I was on TV, and all I've really seen is either rape, and then I've seen a scene where like a kid sucking like a woman's boob. I'm like, is this all Game of Thrones? Is just like yes, it is. <laughs> Why? That that's not my cup of tea. So Netflix has a series called Norsemen, uh, which is a comedy about Vikings, and it's by an all Norwegian cast. And so I, as a well, not born and raised, but semi-raised by a Norwegian <laughs> father, <laughs> loves it. I, I love it. I love it. It's it's so the accents are on point. The accents. Incredible. Uh, they're just like, I didn't know that they, it was a Norwegian production, but then as I heard their accents, I was like, oh, they have to be because they're incredible. But it's really funny. If you want some kind of Scandinavian dry, dark humor, um, I'd really recommend that. So that's Norsemen on, uh, on Netflix. Um, okay. Should we just say bye? <laughs> yeah. My phone's on 4%. So. Oh, okay. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> This has been the 10th episode of Making It Women of Home. We hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as we did. Another reminder is that next week, our interview with Sundry Zena, who's a film editor, producer, writer, and director, and she just had her feature a directorial debut released last year, uh, a, mov- a fantastic movie called Stray Dolls, which I'd really encourage you to go watch before this interview. It's spoiler-free, but it's still really insightful and a- just a great movie. That interview is going to be up on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is just going to be called Making It Women in Film. So you can go subscribe now, put on post notifications so you won't miss that. Uh, We'll of course also be posting that over on our Instagram. Uh, And on our Instagram we also post loads of Q&As, opportunities, statistics, recommendations and just general good discourse. Um, So you can go follow us there and join our community. That's just at Making It Women in Film. And yeah, if you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe or like or whatever you do on wherever you're listening right now so you won't miss the next one. We will see you guys next week. Bye.